In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool too. With an ice cold cold brew, and not just any cold brew, but one that's slow steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. Not running your business on NetSuite is like trying to sink a putt with a cap pulled over your eyes. NetSuite by Oracle is the number one cloud financial system, giving you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, budgeting, and more all in one place. 93% of surveyed businesses increase their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 31,000 businesses already use NetSuite. This summer, NetSuite has a special financing program for those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com go. netsuite.com go. Hello there and welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. Now, this week, I'm pretty sure everybody got a bit of an idea on what the picture was. Um, I'm not sure how many of you guys would have guessed the layout, I suppose, of the show. Um, It is going to be a slightly different layout for this week because I'm actually going to go through some of the best fighter aircraft from the Second World War. So, the picture that was put up showed a handful of fighters from the Second World War. But this week in particular, we're going to be concerning ourselves with 10 in specifics. Now, these 10 are going to come from a array of countries. They're not all going to be British or American, German, so on and so forth. I'm pretty sure we know the the countries that fought. What we're going to do, we are going to rate each aircraft out of 30 so I'm going to do this and I would like to know if you guys agree or disagree I will be doing each score will be out of 10 there'll be three different categories hence out of 30 the first one will be on firepower i.e. how good the aircraft was at shooting down other aircraft or you know carrying out its missions It will be on engine, so the capacity and the weight of the aircraft, so on and so forth, um, and how good they fly for distance and things like that. And the third will be out of just purely aesthetics, how good the aircraft looks. So certain aircraft, I think, will get better scores than what you might think, purely on the basis that they look pretty cool. We will concern ourselves with 10 major aircraft, like I said. However, we will cover, at the end, a few weird aircraft that won't make the list. So, I'm going to start off first with a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, The first one is hello to Shannon, uh, my new Patreon member. Thank you very much for joining. And thank you for the lovely message uh, saying how much you enjoy the show really really appreciate those messages guys it's uh you, you don't 
you know, it, it makes me feel happy to know that you guys are actually enjoying what I'm doing. So I really, really appreciate any messages from any of you guys that feel free to message me. Um, my email address is uh, twihpod at gmail.com. You can access me through Patreon or through Facebook. So without further ado, we shall get on with the show. Now, the first aircraft I thought I'd cover is probably the, one of the most famous aircraft from the Second World War, and that is the Hawker Hurricane. Now, the Hurricane is a British aircraft. It was mostly famous for the Battle of Britain and a very, very durable aircraft for its day. It was first introduced uh, to the RAF on the 25th of December on Christmas Day 1937, and it was produced up until 1944. During the course of the time that the hurricane was was in service, I was going to say during the Second World War, but obviously it did stop manufacturing a year before the end, and it started manufacturing two years before. So during the time period that the hurricane was in service for the RAF, they built over 14,000 of them. There was 14,487 hurricanes built. The Hurricane sported a Rolls-Royce Merlin engine, which is a very common engine for British aircraft at this time. It had a wingspan of 12 metres and it had a top speed of 547 kilometres an hour. So it was a pretty quick plane. It was very durable, like I said, and it was one of the first proper single-seater aircraft that the British actually installed into the RAF. It's a very beautifully designed aircraft. It has very sloped wings, so a lot of people can't tell the difference at a distance between the Hurricane and the Spitfire. The Hurricane has sort of a sloped wing at the end, um, sort of like a D-shaped wing, whereas the uh, the Spitfire has more of a pointed end to the wing. Um, it makes it quite easier to to spot the difference um, at a high altitude. Um, it's just look at the wing shape. So if it's got a point, it's a Spitfire, and if it's if it's rounded at the end, it's a Hurricane. Little side fact for you, American listeners: when World War Two broke out, a lot of uh, U.S. veterans joined the Royal Air Force. Uh, we were looking for pilots. And a lot of Americans at the start of the war uh, wanted to join our Royal Air Force and came over from America to join. Uh, they actually formed a squadron called Eagle Squadron um, or Eagle Squadrons. There ended up being multiple squadrons that were purely based on American pilots. Um, and because this happened at the start of the war, they pretty much flew hurricanes. So the hurricane was probably the first real dogfight aircraft that any Americans actually flew because very few of them flew in the First World War um, so yeah the first aircraft that Americans got behind the sticks and shot down uh, enemy aircraft was uh, was the Hurricane the British Hawker Hurricane now obviously there are many variants of the Hurricane there's the Mark II uh, the Mark II A and B the Mark I there's loads of different 
versions of the Hurricane. Um, so, and the, this goes similar to to a lot of the aircraft that we're covering. Um, we're not going to go into details on individual aircraft. This is just an overview of all Hurricanes, all Spitfires, etc., etc. So, the Hawker Hurricane had a range of roughly 1,090 miles. So it it had pretty good petrol in the tanks. It it could do a, could do a fair bit, um, and this really served the British well uh, during the first uh, sorry during the Second World War. The Battle of Britain, uh, we were very very outnumbered, and I will be covering the Battle of Britain. But the Battle of Britain, for example, um, the British had 527 um, hurricanes, but uh, in July in 1940, and 321 Spitfires they were actually facing a force of 2,700 German planes and as well we know the British the British won um, they won the Battle of Britain and stopped the German invasion now the hurricane was out outnumbered in this but it was definitely not outgunned Boasted four 20 millimeter Hispano Mark II cannons, uh, and at later stages it actually was used as a fighter bomber and could carry two 250 pounds or one 500 pound bomb uh, on its undercarriage. So it was adapted for that purpose, um, and on that basis, for pure firepower, it has got to be a seven. Um, because it had the dual capabilities of that and it had four um, four cannons at the front. The only reason it's been marked down a few um, is because they weren't the biggest cannons um, and the, the load capacity on it was not huge for carrying bombs, so I'd give it a seven for that. For pure aesthetics, being British... I'm afraid it's going to have to be a 9. The design of the British aircraft with the camouflage um, it's just it's, it's outstanding. Um, I don't think I'll be marking down many British planes for the aesthetics. It's an absolutely beautiful plane. And finally, we will score the aircraft. I, I will go with another 7 um, for the engine. So it, it did only have one Rolls-Royce Merlin engine. Um, and some of the aircraft we're going to cover did did have two, um, and although the distance was you know it was decent, um, sort of a thousand kilometres, it's decent, but it's not uh, it's not the best, and it's certainly not the best on the list. So in total, the Hawker Hurricane scores twenty three out of thirty. The next aircraft we're going to look at is the Messerschmitt BF-109, one of the dogfighting German fighter aircraft of the Second World War. Now, a similar time for the uh, for this Messerschmitt, it was actually introduced into the German Luftwaffe on February 1937, so again, a similar time to the Hurricane. Um, it actually retired from the Luftwaffe in May 1945, however, it stayed in service in the Spanish Air Force until 1965, so it had a longer run, and again, to me, that says it's a slightly more durable plane than the Hurricane, or the Spanish couldn't create any aircraft, 
one or the other. Either way, we're either insulting Spain or we're saying this is a really good aircraft. One way or the other, that's how we're going to look at this one. Again, there were many variants to this aircraft, but again, we are going to concern ourselves specifically with this version. There were 33,984 of these aircraft built, so a fair few more than the Hurricane. Obviously, Germany in the Second World War had a little bit more need for aircraft than the British. They were fighting on two fronts, and really, up until sort of 1941, Britain was pretty much just defending its own island. So they didn't really do a huge amount overseas until until after that. So Germany was in a, a state of trying to expand and trying to conquer other countries. So they felt the need to, you know, to to, to produce more than possibly what what the uh, the allies needed to at this time the Messerschmitt uh, had a top speed of 350 miles an hour or 570 kilometers an hour so it was slightly quicker than the hurricane as well which obviously when you're talking about a dogfight does put the british plane at a slight disadvantage it had a wingspan of 11.08 meters so it's a slightly smaller wingspan um, than other aircraft at the at that time however it was the backbone to the German uh, the German Luftwaffe similar to the fact that uh, the Hurricane was the the workhorse to the British RAF it had a V12 engine and was armed with either one or two cannons so it was either armed with a single 20mm uh, cannon right at the front so whereas most aircraft of this day had them in the wings the Messerschmitt actually had one right inside the propeller so as the nose cone on the propeller it poked through the nose cone on the propeller and shot straight out the front or it had two synchronized ones that were either side of the fuselage and shot through the propeller now I still don't know to this day how they ever managed to shoot through the propeller without shooting the propeller but this is how they did it. Now the Messerschmitt is a very very beautiful aircraft. It has uh, quite a long front nose. It sits up very nicely in the sky. Um, it's a slightly longer canopy um, than the British aircraft um, and for that reason I will score it a 7 for aesthetics i think it is a nice looking aircraft i'm not a huge fan of the paint job and it's yeah that for that reason it's a seven for weapons now i would say this is probably only going to be a five because it did only have one or two cannons in fact i'm going to change that i'm going to give it a six the reason i'm going to bump it up one is because i do like the fact that it was in the nose cone i think that's quite cool um i also think it's probably slightly easier to aim if it is in the nose cone um which probably helped with their kill rate they were quite a very well they were quite a good aircraft for that um and for speed and mileage uh, it roughly got about 405 miles 650 kilometers so not a great mileage on on the aircraft 
Um, again, I think I'm probably going to score it a six. So not the greatest scores for that. It's only going to come in at 19. We're going to go further east for this aircraft. We're going to go to the land of the rising sun. We're going to talk about the Mitsubishi A6M0. Now, this is the aircraft known for Pearl Harbor. Uh, well, that's what it's mostly, I think, mainly known for, especially in the Western world. Um, what it's not known for is essentially what we're going to talk about, is the fact that it was probably one of the best aircraft to grace our skies in the 1940s. It was produced from 1939 to 1945, and it was pretty much the entire duration of the war. Now, the Japanese only built 10,939 of these aircraft, and the reason was they used a lot of these on ships. You tend to find the the Zeros were mainly aircraft carrier based. And the reason for this is unless they were attacking uh, attacking mainland Asia, they really didn't have the firepower or the capabilities to get any further without boarding them onto a ship. Um, as I'm sure most of you know, Japan being that far east is pretty much miles and miles from any other type of civilization. Um, so on that basis they needed to be able to fit them onto aircraft carriers the zero was absolutely formidable in the skies uh, when it first started it came out with roughly 12 to 1 kill ratio um i mean that's unheard of by a dogfighting aircraft in this time um it's it was slightly due to the fact that the Japanese had better pilots. They they trained a lot more um, when it came to this. Uh, a lot of the time, again, they were fighting countries that, and, and are no disrespect, but they were fighting countries that had very minimal um, experience with this. Uh, they fought a lot over sort of Southeast Asia um, and over... Um, the Pacific Ocean they were fighting obviously the Americans and the Australians um, and a lot of this a lot of the pilots they were coming up against were inexperienced and at the start of the war the allies on that side of the globe hadn't come up with an aircraft that was capable of matching the firepower of the Zero the Zero had a top speed of 565 kilometers an hour and it had a wingspan of 11 meters. Now, a lot of these wings actually folded up so they could use them on aircraft carriers. So like I said, these were designed slightly differently than the rest of the aircraft we're going to talk about. The Zero was very heavily um, weaponized. It consisted of two 20mm cannons, two 7.7mm machine guns, and two 60-pound bombs. Um, it was adapted as a fighter bomber, and it was a pretty good-looking aircraft, I'm not going to lie. Um, I do quite like the shape of them. The design's pretty nice. Um, the colour schemes, I do like the colour schemes on these. They they came out green, and they also did um, like a grey, I suppose, khaki grey sort of colour. The only thing I will say about the Japanese aircraft is I understand the red dot because it's the land of the rising sun 
and I understand that it's supposed to be the sun. What I don't understand is that for any Allied pilot, that big red dot looks like a hell of a good target. Um, and yeah, I think, I don't think they necessarily thought that bit through because a green aircraft is quite hard to spot. Uh, two big flying dots on the wings is pretty easy to spot. So, um, maybe they could have got a little bit better without putting them on the underside of the wings. Um, the aesthetics on this, uh, I think it's a really nice aircraft. I would actually score this an eight, um, for looks. I think it's a very nice looking aircraft. Um, for machine, uh, machinery, sorry, um, machine guns and weaponry, um, again, I'm gonna score it, uh, I think I'll go with an eight for this because it did have two guns, uh, two machine guns, two cannons, and, f- uh, two, uh, bombs. I think that's a pretty good score. I'll give that, like I said, I'll give that one an 8. For this, the 0 is actually going to get a 10 for range and distance. Now, it had a range of 2,600 kilometers or 1,600 miles on a tank. Now, that was untouchable, really, by most aircraft. It meant it could stay in the skies longer. It meant that they could travel further away from the aircraft carriers than they needed to so they could keep the aircraft carriers at a safe distance um it was very 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 good on fuel so that gives the zero a total of 26 which puts it in the lead we're going to go a little bit further east i suppose if you're looking at it as we're going around the globe we're going further east we're going to the united states for this one and we're going to talk about the grumman F6F uh, Hellcat, one of the best um, fighters to come off of a, a ship during the Second World War. Now, the Grumman was produced between uh, 1942 and 1945, and it was introduced into the U.S. Air Force in 1943, and they built roughly 12,275 aircraft. This aircraft actually stayed in service until 1960, um, but it was part of the Uruguayan Navy, so it had, uh, you know, it it gone past the point of the Americans using it by 1960. The Hellcat is quite a uh, it's quite a weird aircraft, I think, to look at. It looks quite squished. Um, it's quite a nice design. It's got very flat edges on the on the wings. Um, I would say to look at it might not be the most aesthetically pleasing um but it was a pretty decent uh pretty decent aircraft it had a pretty decent engine as well it started with a uh, pratt and winnie uh 10 watt wasp engine um, and it actually moved to an 18 cylinder um water injected um cooling so it was a supercharged basically um which you know is is pretty cool to to think in the 1940s we were supercharging aircraft. It had a pretty big wingspan as well. It was 13.6 meters. Um, it was a pretty you know pretty formidable aircraft. Pretty big to you know to come up against. It wasn't one I think you would uh, you probably wouldn't have been best impressed if if you came up against it. Um, it had a maximum speed of 391 miles an hour or 629 kilometers an hour which made it one of the faster aircraft um, during the war. It didn't match the Zero for combat range, but it did get 
uh, around 945 miles uh, so again not not the best for for fuel capacity however when we talk about the armaments on this ve- uh, this vehicle well, I suppose it is a vehicle but this plane uh, it actually boasted six half inch uh, machine guns uh, brown M2 Browning machine guns two 20 millimeter cannons it had six five inch rockets two 11 and a half in uh, sorry 11 three quarter rockets which were called tiny tims it also carried one 2000 pound bomb or one mark 13 torpedo it also could carry either two uh 1000 pound bombs under each wing four 500 pound bombs uh under each wing or eight 250 pound bombs under each wing so in other words you didn't mess with it it was a pretty it was a pretty powerful aircraft it might not have had this uh might not have had the distance as as other aircraft it certainly didn't have the looks like the other aircraft um but it definitely had the firepower so we're going to go for looks first I'm going to score this one a 7 on looks um, because it, it had a good paint job. I do like the paint job on it. It's not the best looking aircraft of the bunch, um, so we're going to give it a 7. Firepower, it's got to be a 10. It really has got to be a 10. I, it just had everything. It had it had everything. You know, how, how many aircraft at this time could... These were single manned as well, could carry torpedoes, bombs, cannons, machine guns, the lot. Um, yeah, it was very, very, very viable for that. Um, and we're going to score it an 8 for the performance factor, um, for the speed and the, uh, the range of it. So it was a, you know, pretty, pretty decent score there. Good enough for second place so far. It puts it at 25. We're going to come back to Europe for this one, and we are going to talk about the G50 Frescia Frescia by Fiat, the Italian aircraft. Um, Not the most uh, attractive aircraft, I'm not going to lie. It is pretty ugly. If you look at these, um, it's the G50. Um, If you get a chance, it's it's not a good one. Um, It was introduced into the Italian Air Force in 1938, and it was built up until 1946. They produced roughly 683 of these aircraft, so not very many. It was a one-man crew with a wingspan of nearly 11 metres, 10.99 metres to be precise, and it was pretty standard it was a bog standard aircraft um but it was probably the best italian aircraft that they had um it had a maximum speed of 290 miles an hour um so it wasn't again not a great speed on it the range was roughly 445 kilometers or 277 miles so again pretty basic when we're talking about the range um the the engine was was a Fiat, so that tells you everything you need to know about that aircraft. And it only had two uh, half-inch machine guns attached, so I don't really need to go into much more detail about this aircraft. Pretty ugly. I'm going to score it a three for 
aesthetics for weaponry I'm going to score it a 3 and for um, yeah for the rest for sort of maximum speed and, and range it can't be any more than a 3 um, yeah pretty crap aircraft there's a 9 for that one we're going to go to Russia now we're going to talk about the Yakolov Yak now we're going to go with the Yak Seven. Uh, they did make uh, they did make a few variations. They made the three, the seven, the nine, the one. Uh, they made they made loads, uh, but we're we're specifically going to concern ourselves with the Yak Seven. Um, the reason for this is I quite like this one, um, and they made roughly six thousand three hundred and ninety nine of these aircraft, uh, slightly more than some of the other Yak models that they made. Um, it's a nicer looking aircraft than the others. Um, I think it's it's um, looks almost like a bullet, whereas when you compare some of the Yaks, they 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 don't really stand up um, to that. It was not the best aircraft, though, I'm afraid, um, even though it was constantly in battle. So you've got to remember the Yak, um, this is why they had so many variations to it, because there was literally, they had to be producing aircraft constantly in Russia to combat the, the Nazi invasion. It had a, it had a wingspan of 10 meters. And it had a liquid cooled piston engine, so it had a pretty decent engine on it of the maximum speed of 308 miles an hour. So again, not the fastest aircraft there, but certainly not the slowest. It had a range of around 400 miles, so again, middle, middle of the range, not the best range, and certainly not the worst. The armament on it, it had pretty decent uh, guns, it did uh, it did have one 20mm cannon and it had two 7.62mm machine guns. Now, again, not the best. Um, they did later upgrade the machine guns to 12.7mm uh, machine guns, um, but not the best, really, not the best weapons that they, they could have had. Um, for this aircraft, it was... It, it is important to remember they had so many different aircraft that were built during this time. Um, so they had the Yak-1, which was roughly 8,700 uh, built. The Yak-3, which had 4,800 built. Um, you know, they, the Soviet Air Force was constantly producing aircraft um, because they had to. Um, but like I said, with, this, with the Yak-7... Um, for aesthetics, I think it would probably be scored roughly about a six. Um, for the weapons, I think we'll probably be looking about the same, probably about a six. And, and unfortunately for the range, again, I think we're looking at a six. So we're talking about a total score of 18 for the Yak. I'm going back to the States for this one. And possibly one of my favourite aircraft of the Second World War, which is the Lockheed P-38 Lightning. Now, the Lightning was introduced in 1941. It was actually retired from the US Air Force in 1949. And during the Second World War, they built 10,037 of these aircraft. So, it's uh, you know, they, they built a fair few of them. 
Now, the lightning is just so cool to look at. It was, um, for those of you who haven't seen it, it almost looks like someone's put wings across a, an American football goal. Um, it's a big H, essentially. Um, it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. It, nothing like this had ever come out when this was introduced. Um, it had two engines, uh, just amazing. For this to be crewed by one person, um, is quite incredible. Um, it had a wingspan of 52 feet or 15.85 meters and it had a total of, well, like I said, it had two engines, um, that were, they were both, uh, Allison V1710 liquid called supercharged engines. In other words, they were pretty fucking cool. The engines, they were pretty fast as well. This plane had a maximum speed of 414 miles an hour, um, which was pretty quick, probably one of the fastest ones um, at the time. And it had a massive range of 3,300 miles. Um, that's a, a ferrying range. It had a combat range of 1,300 miles. It, it was just formidable this aircraft the only downside to it it was quite big it was quite bulky it didn't have the maneuvers that some of the smaller aircraft had however um it had the firepower to back it up it had one 20 millimeter cannon four half inch machine guns it also had four m10 three tube four and a half inch m8 rocket launchers um that could either carry f the rocket launchers or it could carry two 2,000 pound bombs, two 1,000 pound bombs with four 500 pound bombs or four 250 pound bombs or six 500 pound bombs or six 250 pound bombs or it could also carry ten high velocity uh, uh, aircraft rockets two 500 pound bombs or two 250 pound bombs in other words barring torpedoes this carried everything and more it was amazing um i'm gonna i'm gonna heart the excuse me i'm gonna find it hard to pick points in this aircraft um aesthetically it's gonna be um it's going to be a 9. The only reason I'm going to mark it down one point is because it was quite a big aircraft. Um, it doesn't have the maneuverability of some of the smaller aircraft. And it was potentially an easier target than some aircraft. Other than that, it's beautiful. Um, for weapons, it's going to be a 10 because it just, it just is. You can't touch it um, for weapons. Um, for the rest of it though, I'm, I'm slightly disappointed in the amount of, well, in, in the distance that it could do. It had a good top speed, 414 miles an hour, um, but a combat range of 1300 miles, I think for a twin engine, um, potentially isn't that great, um, especially when the Zero did similar amounts with one engine. So, I think on that basis, that's going to have to be an 8 for that. But that does give it a score of 27, which puts it in first place.
we're going to stay in the States for this one and we're going to talk about uh, the P-51 Mustang. Now, this aircraft I have seen fly. In fact, when I was in the um, the ATC, I actually landed one of these aircraft myself, uh, standing on the end of a runway, directing this aircraft to land, and it was probably one of the scariest, most exhilarating moments of my life. Uh, it's loud. And when it flies over your head as it lands on a runway, yeah, it, you you do kind of crap yourself. It's uh, not going to lie. It's uh, it was quite an intimidating aircraft, and it, yeah, it was very very surreal to see a 1940s aircraft actually land. Um, it was actually introduced uh, in 1942. Believe it or not, the Mustang being an American aircraft was actually first used by the Royal Air Force. They built more than 15,000 during the Second World War. And like I said, the first time it was used was by the Royal Aircraft, at uh, the Royal Aircraft, bloody hell, the Royal Air Force. And it was actually Royal, uh, Rolls Royce, bloody hell, I will speak properly today at some point. It was actually Rolls Royce Merlin engines that went into this aircraft, um, at a later date, which uh, is why it sounded so formidable when it landed, why it was so so specific. Um, I mean, I, I, I work now um, near a place called Biggin Hill, where the Spitfires still take off. Um, when I when I go around that area, you can still hear that Rolls Royce Merlin engine. It's so so distinctive, um, and the P fifty one Mustang, uh, even though. An American aircraft actually had a British engine in it. Again, a similar size to most of the other aircraft. The wingspan was 11.28 meters. It had a maximum speed of 440 miles an hour, so it was bloody quick. And it had a range of roughly uh, 1,650 miles. Um, it did have to have external tanks on it, though, to get it to that that height, that distance so again probably not not the best but definitely up there um however the armaments on it it had six half inch caliber machine guns uh, it could carry a thousand pound bombs um with either two so any combination for two of a thousand so it could either carry two five hundreds one one thousand or four two hundred and fifties it also could carry six or ten um, high-velocity rockets. So again, the with the American aircraft being able to have these uh, HVARs, um, it makes a huge difference when scoring the aircrafts. Now, firstly, when you talk about aesthetics, the Rolls-Royce engine puts it up uh, straight away. Again, it has that classic American hard lines, very box-shaped wings, very straight-edged straight lines. I'm not a fan of this, um, so unfortunately I will mark it down for that. I'm not a fan of these straight edges. I'm also not a fan of the fact that this aircraft was basically tin foil in the air. Um, it was super shiny. It was like a flying mirror. I'm not a fan of that, especially when you're talking about fighters fighting in formation. Um, they would approach anywhere, 
the sun that gleams off these aircraft and I've seen it myself if you just can't look at the aircraft now if you're flying at 400 miles an hour and all of a sudden you're blinded by the guy in front of you because his aircraft is too shiny I just don't see that being a good thing um it's nice to look at on the ground but I think in the air um I'm not I'm not a huge fan um aesthetically I'm only going to score this a 7 uh, for that for weapons I'm going to score it an 8 and for durability for uh, range it has a very good range um I am going to score this uh, an 8 as well that gives the P51 Mustang a total score of 23 now our final two aircraft are going to be possibly the two most famous aircraft from the second world war firstly we're going to go to nazi germany and we're going to talk about the fokker wolf 190 this is possibly the most famous german aircraft and they built over 20,000 of these aircraft from the first flight of 1939 up until 1945 this is an absolutely beautiful aircraft the color schemes on it are fantastic the way it was designed was unrivaled really um, in the way it looks it just has the feel of a, a complete war machine it has a wingspan of roughly uh, 10.5 meters and a maximum speed of 405 miles an hour or 652 kilometers an hour which puts it on the faster side when we're talking about european fighters and the reason i am scoring the european fighters slightly differently is because they didn't necessarily come up against the americans now the reason the americans had to go big with their aircraft why they had to go more powerful more weapons um, more speed was because they were coming up against the zero and at the start of the war the japanese zero was the best aircraft it was just unrivaled um the british were not coming up against the japanese and therefore didn't have to build an aircraft that rivaled the japanese the americans did so that's why there's a slight difference in the scoring um the fokker wolf was just unbelievable for what it was though um like i said it had a it had a very good maximum speed it had a range of around a thousand kilometers um so again not the best range in the world but you've got to remember these aircraft didn't have to travel that far um during the second world war a lot of them were stationed in france which was a stone's throw from england which meant they really didn't have to travel too far to get over there now I found this a bit strange considering the uh, Hurricane has four cannons but the, the Fokker Wolf actually only has two 20mm cannons and two uh, 13mm machine guns. Um, it does have the capacity for a bomb under the fuselage or four under the wings so again it can carry a little bit more um it has a very good capacity to do that and it, it had the ability to cause a lot of damage because of the speed that the aircraft had now aesthetically this aircraft is a nine 
it's beautiful it's very very well made I'm knocking a point off because every single time it went up it had a swastika on the back of it so other than that it would be a 10 but I don't think I can score anything with a swastika a 10 um, so it's a 9 uh, for the Focke Wolf on aesthetics now on armament it's going to be a 7 um, I would score it higher however there were other aircraft that were better um, and I think a 7 is a fair score for that for the range again now if we're comparing it to an American aircraft the range would be probably maybe a 4 or a 5 however I'm not comparing it to American aircraft for this because it didn't need to have that type of capacity for the capacity it needed it's got to be a 9 because it had what it needed it did everything that it needed to do and it ticked all the boxes well, that gives the Fokker Wolf a total score of 25. And like I said, I am a little bit biased, so this we are going to talk about last. First and last, the two best aircraft for a British person in the Second World War. We are talking about the Spitfire. Now, the Spitfire actually was introduced in 1938, and it was produced up until 1948, and they built roughly 20,351. Now I'm going to just play a quick clip here that I found. Um, when we're talking about the Rolls-Royce Merlin engine, you will understand what I mean when I say how amazing this aircraft sounds. Listening to that still gives me goosebumps. Now that was actually recorded at an air show, so you can hear a little bit of talking in the background. But um, it just—this is what I mean when I say the Rolls-Royce Merlin engine. It really had that. You just knew. You know what they sound like, and and if you're British, you you know what that sound is. Um, and obviously, if you're American, that's what the P51 Mustang sounds like as well. Um, so we'll go back to the scoring of the of the Spitfire. Now it had a wingspan of eleven point two three meters, so slightly larger than the other British aircraft. It had a maximum speed of three hundred and seventy miles an hour. Now, when it was coming up against the Messerschmitt, this is why it did so well in the Battle of Britain. However, when the Germans introduced the Fokker Wolf, we started to have a few problems. However, with the Spitfire. It had a better range, it had a better climbing rate, it had a lot better manoeuvrability um, than the Fokker Wolf and a hell of a lot more than the Messerschmitt, which meant it basically was unrivaled in the air. It dominated every dogfight, more or less. We had the better pilots as well. Um, I mean, the RAF pilots in the Second World War were just unbelievable um, in comparison to the rest of the world and I will say the rest of the world because they were they were they were the best we had the best and we had the machine that worked you know the Spitfire had that amazing ability to do what it what what it needed to do to win the fights um, and it had a range of 
479 miles so again not the best range on the Spitfire however it didn't need the range again the same with the German aircraft it didn't need to have the stupid amount of range that the Japanese and the Americans needed to to continue the war they were fighting on a very closer front now the armaments on the Spitfire there are a few different variations to this you had either eight 303 Browning machine guns or you had two uh, 20mm cannons and four Browning machine guns or you could have four 20mm cannons you could have two 20mm cannons and four 303 machine guns or you could have two 20mm cannons and two 50mm machine guns so they had about five different variations to what they could have now at a later date the Spitfire introduced um, bomb loading capacity to carry bombs underneath the wings as well Um, it really was a formidable beautiful aircraft and annoyingly as I'm reading this out I can't score it as high as I wanted to score it because it just doesn't mark up to some of the other aircraft and that's so painful as a British person to say Um, aesthetically it's a 10 it is possibly the most beautiful aircraft that's ever existed Um, for weapons I would score it I would say a 9 purely on the basis that it, it again it carried everything However, however, for the ability to do what it needed to do, I would score it a 10, but I can't do that, especially when it didn't have the capacity of the fuel capacity of half of the the airplanes on this list. So it pains me to say I'm going to have to score it an 8 for that which gives it a total of 27 now for those of you who have been listening and are still with me that puts it in tied first place and I think the only fair way to do this to choose between the two aircraft is to pick out the worst aircraft from each nation and compare that and whichever one has the worst then that one loses so if America has the worst aircraft then that means the lightning comes in second place if the British have the worst aircraft that means the Spitfire comes in second place so I'll give you the list of so far in last place unsurprisingly we have the Fiat G50 with 9 points in ninth place we have the Yak with 18 points we then have the 109 with 19 points joint we then have the Hurricane and the P51 on 23 joint again we have the Hellcat and the Fokker Wolf 190 on 25 and then in joint first place we have the 38 Lightning and the Spitfire so for the British 
uh, or fighting the British shit corner, we have the B-25 Rock or the Blackburn Rock. Um, this was introduced in 1939 and it was produced until 1943. There was only 136 of these built and this is the reason why. It was a two crewed fighter aircraft. It had a wingspan of 14 meters and it had a top speed of just 223 miles an hour. It had a cruising speed of 135 miles an hour, so it was pretty slow. With it being a two manned aircraft, you would think ah, that's got to have some, some real firepower. Yeah, it really didn't. It had four guns, but they were operated on a turret, and the turret was placed at the back of the aircraft behind the pilot um was really 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 bad design the the turret didn't turn which meant that there was no way of firing forwards which meant they could only fire backwards um it had no real armament other than that at all with it only being able to fire backwards and on a slight angle anything that came front on they couldn't do anything now it just—it was just shocking, shockingly bad design. It's not a pretty aircraft. Either. It has the British colours, the camouflage, which is nice. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty bad aircraft uh, all round, to be honest. It did carry eight bombs, um, so it—I suppose it had a bit more of an ability to do something, but it really wasn't great um for aesthetics i would only ever score this maybe a five and that's purely on the basis that it has the british paint job on it um uh, the guns uh, i mean it had four but you know they they faced the wrong way so <laughs> probably a two maybe on that basis um so what we're talking six seven now um and for I mean, you're probably only talking maybe four points for for the rest, so you're talking a total score of eleven. Um, it's a it's a pretty shocking aircraft. Still better than the Fiat, but it's a pretty shocking aircraft for the British and for the Americans. I'm going to be really biased here, and I'm going to pick out your Vought V173, which is your flying pancake. So for those of you who haven't seen this aircraft. I am being really picky here because I want the Spitfire to win. Um, it was an experimental aircraft that the Americans built, and it was a flying pancake. Um, it flew on the 23rd of November 1942. Now, it did actually fly for about five years, but it was just experimental. It had one pilot, a wingspan of seven meters. It was a tiny little aircraft, um, and it had two... Uh, two uh, four-cylinder engines with a top speed of 138 miles an hour. It didn't have any weapons, and I don't even know why it was built. To be honest, it was it's quite a quite a strange one. Um, but yeah, I mean, I could have picked I could have picked a number of aircraft. To be fair, the other one that I was looking at is the the Brewster Buffalo, um, which was that nose heavy that when it landed. It was an aircraft uh, carrier plane. When it landed on the aircraft carrier, it used to nosedive and 
tip forwards, so the pilot was pretty much flung out of the out of the canopy because it was too heavy on the nose. Um, so yeah, America had a few worse planes than we did. However, America had the ability to do that. They had the ability to experiment on planes. They had the ability to pretty much do what they wanted to do during the Second World War because nobody was attacking them at home, which gave them a huge advantage over every other country uh, that that was involved in the Second World War. Um, I believe the Japanese only actually hit mainland America once with a balloon bomb. It wasn't even, you know, a, an actual an attack. Um, it, you know, other than Pearl Harbor, um, which obviously for those of you who don't know, I'm assuming everybody knows is Hawaii. So it's not, not mainland America uh, or mainland USA. So it's, um, it's a hard one to, to judge. I, I am being biased. I just wanted the Spitfire to win. Uh, realistically, there were some really cool planes there and some really shocking planes there as well. Um, but yeah, America had the ability to do what they needed to do during the second world war. And, with the fact that they were able to experiment and to create these sort of things that other countries couldn't, um, has obviously helped us later in later years. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure what you guys think of this show. I was thinking of ideas and I thought I really wanted to do the Spitfire. And I thought, do you know what I'm going to do? the Spitfire and I'm going to pit it against all the other aircraft from the Second World War and I actually I think if I was being 100% honest the Lightning is probably the best aircraft out of the lot um, followed by the Zero and then followed by the British and German aircraft um, I, I think if I'm not being biased that would probably be how the list the list goes realistically um but being british and hearing that noise from the spitfire and having the spit with you know without the spitfire britain wouldn't have we wouldn't have lasted more than 2 years in the second world war um the battle of britain will be coming to your ears very soon um it is a an amazing story and for those of you who do know the story then you know hopefully you want to hear it through my voice for those of you who don't know the story the battle of britain um it was the defining moment of the second world war for the british people and yeah very very important um and it's it's something that resonates and the spitfire and hurricane resonate in british hearts and have done for you know 80 years now so they're very very important to us as i'm sure you guys are aware i am quite patriotic when it comes to my country and i do hope that you guys have enjoyed this episode um i know it's a different one i noticed i had a few comments about the last episode about the emu war and how people thought it was quite fun and entertaining and funny and I thought, you know what, I'm not going to go down the depressing road yet. I'm going to do a couple of more fun episodes, um, which is why I've done this one. I'm thinking I might do the Bombers next. 
um, or the tanks, uh, or maybe pick the best battleship from each country. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. Um, or I might go completely different. I haven't decided, you know, haven't made up my mind. <laughs> You'll have to wait and see what next week's episode's going to be. You'll have to get yourself onto Facebook and have a look at our Facebook page, which is This Week in History. Get yourselves on there. Have a look. See if there you can guess what next week's episode is going to be. Um, another quick one. Thank you again for my new Patreon members for joining. I really, really appreciate it, guys. I can't stress how important that is to me and to keeping this podcast going. Um, Patreon is the way for us to to sort of expand and keep going and gives me the incentive to carry on doing this because all of this is done for free. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I know I've had some people think that we're on you know, stupid amounts of money doing podcasts. Um, unless you're getting millions and millions and millions of listeners, you are not earning any money from podcasting. You actually have to pay to do a podcast. So, uh, Patreon is what keeps me going and keeps me, you know, keeps me doing this every week. So, um, for those of you who, who are listening and do think, oh, actually, I didn't realize that. Just get yourselves over there, patreon.com, this week in history, and just join up because, like I said, every little helps. It makes a huge difference to me and to this podcast. So thank you for listening, guys. And remember, we all have history. Make yours great. See you next week. Bye-bye. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a stuntman to do their home renovations. Just finished the new sunroom, Mrs. C. The best part is I used candy glass for all the windows, so you can do this. And this doesn't hurt a bit either. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. And if you don't want to take the long way to the kitchen, the walls are breakaway too. See? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. Bundling home and car insurance with GEICO is so easy, your neighbors are probably already doing it. But who? They may drop little hints like... Beautiful day out. Even more beautiful since we saved by bundling our home and car insurance with GEICO. Or... Yard work is hard. Much harder than bundling with GEICO, which was easy. Or it may be even subtler, like... Speaking of burgers, we bundled our home and car insurance with GEICO and saved a bunch of money. Bundling is easy with GEICO. Just ask your neighbors. Bundling car and renter's insurance with GEICO is so easy, your neighbors are probably already doing it. But who? Look for the signs. Chances are they live in a home and have a car. They use money and enjoy having more of it. They probably drink lots of lemonade. Mmm, lemonade. And they've probably said something suspicious like, I'm bundling with Geico or stop spying on me with those binoculars. If so, you may want to ask them how easy it was to bundle with Geico. Bundling is easy with Geico. Just ask your neighbors.